we normally sing a hymn, but I forgot to sing one at second service last week. So I'm going to wait and not do him. We'll have to do last Sunday's hymn at second service, and then we'll be back on track. But we have time, so um, I'll play for y'all my favorite hymn. Then how about that? Um, it's a, it's a, it's called My Tribute by Andre Crouch. And I can't sing, but I, I told God when I get to heaven, this is the one song I want to sing because I just it's my favorite song of all time. So uh, I'll just play it for you because we got time. imperfect people and we're talking about different people in the Bible and us humans we do stupid natural things but through God we can do supernatural things and we talked about Peter and we talked about Abraham we talked about Moses and Zipporah and when God gives you a gift he knows that in life you're gonna do stupid things but he still chose to give you that gift um, today in part three for your notes we're talking about the gifts of apostle and teacher 
apostle and teacher. And we're going to look at two people in the Bible. One was an apostle, one was a teacher, and how they went from stupid natural to supernatural. And um, I want to make sure you know that these gifts are from God. Ephesians 4, 11 through 12, his gifts were to the church. He himself gave some to be apostles, some to be teachers. So uh, my burden for today's sermon is this. Uh, you and I, we are born stupid natural, but we're born again with the ability to be used by God to do supernatural. But if you're not saved and the supernatural is not inside of you, you can't be used to do supernatural things. Romans 8, 11 says, If the same Spirit who raised Christ from the dead lives in you, if it does, if it does, He will give life to your mortal bodies. So my big focus today is to make sure that you are saved. And you can go from being stupid natural to supernatural in a millisecond. And we're going to look at that today through two different people. So for your notes, point number one, the teacher, we're going to talk about Nicodemus. Nicodemus, and if you watch The Chosen, he's one of my favorite characters on The Chosen, by the way. Uh, but Nicodemus was a teacher of the law, teacher of the Bible. And so keep that in mind. Jesus is not having a conversation with a prostitute or a drunkard or someone like that. He's having a conversation with somebody who teaches the Bible, okay? John 3 is where it starts. John 3, verse 1. There was a Pharisee, a Jewish leader named Nicodemus, a teacher named Nicodemus who came to Jesus at night. He did that because he didn't want anyone to know. And so just real quick, one of the signs that you're saved is you don't mind letting people know that you're saved and Jesus is in your life. But he didn't want anybody to know. He came to Jesus at night and he said, good teacher. Now remember that phrase, because we're going to look at that again, that Nicodemus calls Jesus good teacher. We know you've come from God. Well, you'd think that if we believe Jesus came from God, you'd be saved, but it's not so. We know you've come from God. For no one can do these miracles unless God be with him. So he believes Jesus can do miracles. Jesus said to him, you're going to hell. Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So Jesus, you're a great teacher. You come from God. You do miracles. Jesus says, you're not going to heaven unless you're born again. Uh, Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he's old? So Jesus is talking supernatural, and immediately Nicodemus is speaking stupid natural. Jesus says, born again. Nicodemus says, how can I be born when I'm old? Can I enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus goes back to supernatural. Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. So Jesus is not speaking to a prostitute. He's talking to a person who goes to church and teaches the Bible in church, and Jesus told him, you're not going to heaven. Uh, I also want you to see that the topic, when it talks about mother's womb, it proves that that word water there is referring to natural. Some people think it's referring to being baptized. It's not. And you know that if you're married and your wife's having a baby, you know you better do something quick when she says, my, my water broke, right? Okay, I remember with uh, one of my kids, I don't know if it was Asher or Sailor, but one of them, uh, my wife was pregnant, and, 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 and I was on my way home from work, and I was driving 80 miles an hour in like a 45, which is not shocking, it's pretty much normal for me, and I got pulled over, I got pulled over, and I said, oh, oh, officer, my wife's having a baby, my wife's having a baby, I gotta get home, and he said, okay, do you need a, do you need an escort, I said, no, 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 it's right down the street, said, okay, just don't speed anymore, you go ahead, I wasn't lying, she was having a baby six months from that time, but she was having a baby, she was just, it was just, she was three months pregnant, it's okay, but, but that's worked for me 12 different times already, okay, so, um, so Nicodemus, let me tell you what he was. Not only was he a teacher, but he was also from the Sanhedrin. Put it on the screen. The Sanhedrins were rulers of the law. The Pharisees were teachers of the law. And Nicodemus was very much up there. He was a very important man, high in authority. He was very, very rich. Let me tell you, because he was a member of the Sanhedrin and because he was a Pharisee, let me tell you what his qualifications were, okay? Number one, he tithed on everything. 
You can put it on the screen. Everything. If he was growing mint in his backyard, the first of the tenth of the mint he would take to the church. He tithed on everything. He memorized the first five books of the Bible. Now, I know that doesn't impress y'all at all because y'all did that many, many years ago. He uh, memorized Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, which is the book of the Bible that you cheat on when you try to read through the Bible in a year. Um, Numbers and Deuteronomy. You probably cheat on that one too. I don't know. Memorized all five. He prayed every day. You might do that. He fasted two times a week. How many of y'all fast two times a year? You, you, you fast what? You're lying. And, um, and he attended church every week. We all got that. And he believed that Jesus came from God. And he believed in the supernatural. And Jesus said, you're not going to heaven. Let me prove to you the supernatural part. Acts 23, it says this, the Sadducees, they believe there's no resurrection, no angel, no spirit. That's why they were sad, you see. And, but the Pharisees, they confessed, they confessed both of them. So the Pharisees, he said, you're a great teacher, you do miracles, you're supernatural, you come from God. And Jesus says, you're going to hell. So if this guy is not saved, if he is still stupid natural, then how do we know any of us in this room are saved? John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world, He gave His only Son, that whoever believes. That word believes means to trust in, to give your life to, to trust Him with your life, to give Him everything, to give up control. If you are still Lord of your life, then He is not Lord of your life. If you had not surrendered your will, I'm not saying you're not going to mess up, but if you had not surrendered your will to Him, then He is not Lord of your life. You can't have two Lords. You only have to, you get one. You get one. So let me give you an analogy to help you really make sure that you're, you're saved or not. I think one of the best scriptures in the whole Bible is Ezekiel uh, 36, 25 through 28. And it says this, I'll sprinkle clean water on you and make you clean from everything that has defiled you. This is salvation. I will give you a new heart and a new mind. I will remove the heart of stone. I will put my spirit in you, and I'll see to it that you obey my commands. How many of you, should, since you've been saved, you can mess up, and God will grab you by the neck and put you back, and you mess up, and he puts you back. He's going to see to it. One way or another, he's going to get you to obey. Then you'll be my people, and I'll be your God. So let me show you what this means. So this arrow is pointing to y'all's right. Okay, So right will be heaven and Jesus, and left will be hell and Satan. And this is not a political analogy. Okay, Okay, so... I thought it was funny. So, I actually had somebody that I, I love very, very much tell me last week, they said, I don't want what Jesus wants. And I said, well, that's okay. I said, just pray for Jesus to change your heart. She said, I don't want Jesus to change my heart. And that is the opposite of salvation. Uh, salvation is, even though I might be doing the wrong thing, I want to do what God wants. See, before you got saved, your default was do whatever you want to do. I want what I want, I want to do it when I want it, and that's my life. And you could try to do the right thing and honor God, and you could, but your default will just go right back to the other direction. You, need, you should come to church, okay, I'll try coming to church, ah, I don't want to. Well, you know, you should really forgive that person, ah, I'll forgive, but if they hurt me again, I'm not going to. Your desire was to go, now, after you get saved and you surrender your will to Jesus Christ, because you can't change your heart. You can't do this. Only Jesus can. Only a relationship with Jesus. So when you ask him to come into your life and you say, Jesus, I need you to be my Lord and Savior. I need you to have rule over my life. Here's what he does. He comes down and he changes your heart. And all of a sudden, this desire is inside of you to do what God wants. If you find it in the Bible, even if you don't like it, something in you says, I got to do it. And you can keep doing the wrong thing every now and then, but your default is going to honor God. I'm not going to church. I'm not going to. Okay, fine. I'll go to church. 
I don't want to forgive. I don't want to forgive. Okay, I'll forgive. You might find something new in the Bible today and think, well, I didn't know that. And if you read it in the Bible, you're, if you're saved, you'll think this, I should probably be doing that. And you can do the wrong thing, but your default is to go back to honor God. And here's my question. When did this happen to you? Because that's the day you got saved. The day that your desires, the day that your, your heart of stone was gone, and your thoughts and your heart want to do what God says, even if it hurts, even if it doesn't feel good, even if your emotions are telling you, ah, I don't want to do it, something inside of you says, i got to honor God because he's the Lord of my life. When this happened, that's the day you got saved. And if this did not happen, if you die today, I believe you're going to hell. Because you have not submitted your life. You haven't trusted him with your life. Hasn't trusted him with Okay, so uh, the Bible is our final authority, of course. Um, but there are, when you go to seminary or Bible college or when you talk to different theologians, there are historians of the day that they look at that prove the Bible. In fact, secular communities uh, use these two historians as well. One is Tertullian, who was born, uh, he lived from 155 AD to 220 AD. The other is uh, Josephus, Josephus Ben-Gurion. He lived 33 AD all the way to 100 AD. And he tells us about Nicodemus. And they said that Nicodemus had a nickname his nickname was the rich young ruler, and it's because he was the richest, youngest ruler that was in the Sanhedrin and in Jerusalem. In fact, Nicodemus was so rich, they say that he had enough wealth that he could feed all the inhabitants of Jerusalem for 10 years without ever losing any money at all. That's how rich he was, the rich young ruler. So, um, John, which we read about Nicodemus, John writes about the first two years of Jesus' ministry, a little bit of the third. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the other three Gospels, they're synoptic Gospels. They only write about the third year of Jesus' ministry. So Nicodemus is in John, but also we see later on in life with Jesus' ministry, we see him come back. In Mark 10, verse 17, it says this. As Jesus was going out on the road, one of them, someone came running, knelt before him, and asked him, What's the, what, what, did he, what did he call Jesus? Isn't that the same thing Nicodemus called him in John? Good teacher. What can I do to inherit eternal life? So earlier it was, Jesus, how can I go to heaven? And Jesus says, you need to be born again. And that's the end of that. Now he's asking again, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said this, you know the commandments. Do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not lie, do not covet, and honor your father and mother. Let me ask you, is that all the commandments? That's just six of them, right? Jesus told him the six that have to do with people. But he did not repeat to him the four that have to do with his relationship with God. Nicodemus was excited. He thought this. said, well, I've done all these things since I was a teenager. That's got to be a lie, but it's in the Bible, so whatever. Then Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, there's something you lack. He looked in his heart and said, you need to go and sell everything you have and give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come take up your cross and follow me. The man walked away sad with a grieving heart because he had much money. So some people, they'll read this and they'll say, you know what? I didn't know you got to sell everything to go to heaven. That's not what he said. He did not say sell everything you have and give it away to go to heaven. He said sell everything you have and give it away and you'll have treasure in heaven. The way we get to heaven is put our faith in Jesus. It's by grace and faith and grace alone. Uh, but when you get to heaven, the city you live in, the part of the city you live in, the house that you live in, the job that you have for all of eternity to serve in heaven, all of that is based on how you live on earth. So we put our faith in Jesus, we get to heaven, but the way we live affects what heaven is like for us. So Jesus said, if you'll sell everything you have and give it away, uh, you'll have treasure in heaven. But here's what you need to do to go to heaven. You need to just take up your cross and follow me, which is the same thing we all have to do in order to get to heaven. And he walked away sad. And the truth is, everyone in this room would walk away sad if Jesus told you, sell everything you have and give it away. It doesn't say he didn't do it. 
It just says he walked away sad. And for Nicodemus, Jesus was saying, the one thing that's preventing you from taking up your cross and following me is those possessions have your heart. Yeah, you did good on those six commandments, but the first one says, have no other gods before me. And you have a God before me, Nicodemus. You have a God, and it's called money. And in fact, verse 23, Jesus then looked at his disciples and said this, it is so hard for rich people to enter the kingdom of God because they love money more than they love Jesus. Now, don't tell me Jesus has your whole life and he doesn't even have 10% of the income. Don't even tell me that. Well, I trust you with my whole life, my whole soul. Everything I have is yours, 10%. No, 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 that's mine. But everything else I have is yours. I give you my kids. I give you my life, my heart. What about money? No, not money. I'm I'm holding on that to myself. No, if Jesus is not the Lord of your life, he's not the Lord of you at all. So, uh, Nicodemus is told, you need to sell everything you have. This is preventing you from taking up your cross. Let me show you some scriptures. First, 10, first Corinthians 10, 26. For the earth is the Lord's and all it contains. Psalm 24, 1. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world belongs to him. Psalm 50, 10. Every animal is mine. The cattle on a thousand hills are mine. I own all the birds of the mountains. The world is mine in all its fullness. Here's my question. Is everything you have, is it yours or is it God's? Because just so you know, even your, your name might be in the deed. You might have worked hard or earned it, but it's all God's. It's all God's. Every, how many of you ladies have a diamond in, in here? How many of y'all have a diamond? I, if not, I, I, you're, I just probably embarrassed your husband. But hopefully everybody's got a diamond, okay? Okay. <laughs> Do you know whose diamond that really, you know where that diamond came from? It came from God's earth. It came from God's coal. The oil in your car came from, came from God. The clothes you're wearing, that came from God. The 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 paper your cash is printed on and the check that you use to write a check came from God's trees it's all God's and once you get saved if God says I want you to give this away or I want you to throw this away I want you to get rid of this if you grieve there's a chance you're not saved because it was not yours you can't grieve when you're asked to give something that never belonged to you in the first place Um, I wonder what amount of money would actually impress God for us to give like what amount of money could we give that would impress God because Revelation 21 21 says this his streets are gold and transparent as glass it's like the guy that died and goes to heaven and Jesus said you can bring one suitcase with you and he opened up the suitcase and it was filled with gold bars and St. Peter laughed said you brought asphalt to heaven out of all the things you brought asphalt to heaven <laughs> even a pearl a pearl is made because God's oyster irritated God's sand. So what amount of money can we give to really impress Jesus? Like what would really impress him? Matthew 12, 41 through 44, and this is actually why we have boxes and we don't pass a plate here. It's because I read this scripture before I started pastoring. It says, as Jesus sat near the church offering box, he watched people drop in their money. Many rich men from Market Common dropped in a lot of money. Then a poor widow from Aner dropped in two little copper coins worth about a penny. Jesus told his disciples, this widow put more in the offering box than everybody else. Here's why. She put in all she had. Here's my question. Have you given everything away? I don't mean have you dispersed your assets. I mean, who's the owner? Because when Jesus is the Lord of your life, even your heart, your emotions, your money, everything, it all belongs to him. So, Something later on in life happened to Nicodemus, right? 
We see he goes to Jesus at night because he's embarrassed. And later on, he says, okay, what do I need to do? He says, sell everything you have. He walks away sad. In John 7, in, uh, John 7 45, it says, when the officers came to the chief priest because they wanted to arrest Jesus, and the Pharisees, they said, why have you not brought him? The officer said, nobody speaks like this guy. The Pharisees said, are you deceived? Have any of the rulers of the Sanhedrin or the Pharisees believed Jesus? And now out of all the people there, there's one man who speaks up to defend Jesus, which is very unusual because earlier he was embarrassed. Verse 50, Nicodemus, who came to Jesus by night, being one of them, said to them, Does our law judge a man before it hears him and knows what he's doing? Out of all the leaders there and all the people in front of everyone, Nicodemus speaks up and defends Jesus. Nicodemus had a best friend. His best friend was Joseph of Arimathea. John 19.38 says, After Jesus died, Joseph of Arimathea, being a disciple of Jesus, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. And Pilate gave him permission. So he came and took the body of Jesus. And Nicodemus, who at first came to Jesus by night, also came. So Jesus is dead. Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea, they go to embalm the body of Jesus. And in Matthew 27.57 it says, Now when evening had come, a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who himself had also become a disciple of Jesus. And Isaiah 53, 9 is the Messianic prophecy. Jesus did no wrong, never deceived anyone, but he was buried like a criminal. He was put in a rich man's grave, which is Joseph of Arimathea's grave. Okay, here's my question. Nicodemus finds Jesus at night. He defends Jesus before the entire Sanhedrin. He accompanies his best friend to the tomb of Jesus to embalm his body. If Nicodemus was so rich... If he was so rich and he finally got saved and defends Jesus, why didn't Nicodemus let Jesus use his tomb? Why did he have to go to Joseph of Arimathea and say, hey, will you let Jesus use your tomb? Why didn't Nicodemus just give him his, if he's so rich and he believes Jesus and loves Jesus, why didn't he let Jesus use his own tomb? Because historians of the day write this, Nicodemus was a member of the Sanhedrin and was counted one of the three richest men in Jerusalem, but was later said that he sold everything he had and became poor. Maybe when you were younger, you, you walked an aisle or you said the sinner's prayer or whatever. But when was the day that you gave up everything you have just to be with Jesus? You, you gave everything. Jesus, take, take, take my whole life. Take every, I trust you completely. When did that day happen? Because for Nicodemus, it was then. Point number two for your notes, and keep in mind what we're talking about. I want to talk to you about the Apostle John. The Apostle John. I just want to tell you about his life, and then I'll get to my point at the end. Uh, John was one of the 12 disciples, the first 12 disciples. Let me ask you all a question. Who wrote most of the New Testament? It wasn't Paul. Paul wrote the most books. He wrote 13, I think, out of 27 books. But the most words of the New Testament were written by Luke. Luke wrote Luke in the book of Acts, and together there's about 39,000 words. Coming in third place for the most in the New Testament was John. He wrote the Gospel of John, uh, which shows the divinity of Jesus Christ. He wrote 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, which shows the humanity of Jesus Christ, and he wrote Revelation. Uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they're synoptic Gospels. They all talk about the birth, the death, and the resurrection in the third year of Jesus' ministry in Galilee. John writes about the first two years of Jesus' ministry in Judea. Um, all the other Gospels begin with the beginning, the birth of Jesus, but John starts with the birth of time. 
John 1, 1, he says this, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then the humanity of Jesus in 1 John 1, verse 1, I write about what existed from the beginning, what I've heard, what I've seen, what I've touched. There were false teachers in Ephesus who were saying, uh, Jesus came uh, in the Spirit, there was no flesh, and John is saying, no, no, I saw him, I was there, I'm a first-hand witness. Um, John wrote Revelation, and it's not Revelations, so don't say that, because that really ticks me off when people say that. It's Revelation. And it's not about the end times. It's a revelation about Jesus Christ. Revelation 1.1, the revelation of Jesus Christ by John who testifies to everything he saw. John has more red letters than any other book of the Bible, which means he wrote more about what Jesus said. If you want to know what Jesus said, that the, in fact, if you're, if you're saved, just got saved or you're unsaved, the one book in the whole Bible you need to read about a dozen times before you move anywhere else is the Gospel of John has more about what Jesus said than any other book of the Bible. 29 of the 31 times that Jesus is called the Lamb of God, it is by John. He's the one that writes it. Uh, 27 times in Revelation, two times in John. John records more of what Jesus said about himself than any other book of the Bible. Now remember all this that I'm telling you, because I'm going to make a big point at the end. Uh, I'll read some to you. John 6, 35, he said, I am the bread. John 8, 12, I am the light. John 8, 58, before Abraham was, I am. John 10, 7, I am the door. John 10, 11, I'm the good shepherd. John 11, 25, I am the resurrection. John 14, 6, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. John 15, 1, I'm the vine. John 10, 36, I am the son of God. There's two ways to say I am in Aramaic. Jesus spoke Aramaic, which was later um, translated to Greek, and then Greek to Latin, and Latin to English, and then all the other languages. So Aramaic, Greek, Latin, English, everywhere else. In Aramaic, you can say I am like you're going to do something. I am going to the store. The other way to say it is like a noun, I am this or I am that. And they got so mad, the Pharisees, when Jesus would say, I am God. I am the way. I am the door. I am the light. Um, John records the, the first two years of Jesus' ministry, and so without the Gospel of John, let me show you what we would not have. If it had not been for John, we would not have John chapter 2, the wedding where Jesus performed his first public miracle, turning water into wine. We wouldn't have John 3, the story of Nicodemus that I told you earlier. We wouldn't have John 3.16, for God so loved the world, he gave us only begotten Son, whoever believes in him will not perish, have everlasting life. We wouldn't have John 3.17, I did not come into the world to condemn the world, but the world be saved through him. We wouldn't have John 4, the woman at the well. We wouldn't have John 5, the lame man by the pool of Bethesda who was there for 38 years and Jesus said to him, do you really want to be well? And he kept making excuses. Jesus said, if you want to be well, you can be well today. We wouldn't have uh, John 8, the woman who was caught in adultery. I mean, they, they caught her. It wasn't like they heard about it. They, they caught her. It, it, you know, she couldn't say it wasn't me. They caught her. And they were going to stone her. And Jesus said, okay, I'm going to give you permission to stone her. The law says you can stone her. So stone her if you haven't sinned. And the one person who was legally, uh, had the right to stone her was the one person who actually gave her grace, which was Jesus Christ. He said, I don't condemn you either. Uh, John 9, the man who was blind since birth. They keep questioning him over and over and over, and all he can say is, I don't know, Jesus touched me. I was blind and now I see. We wouldn't have that story. We wouldn't have John 11, the raising of Lazarus. John 13, the washing of the disciples' feet. We wouldn't have that. You want to know what Jesus said at the Last Supper? The last time he ate with his disciples is John 14, 15, and 16. It's Jesus, 12 disciples, and Leonardo da Vinci in the corner painting it. <laughs> we wouldn't have John 14, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go and prepare a place for you. I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but by me. We wouldn't have any of that. John 14, he's sitting with his disciples. We wouldn't have that story. And John records all of it. Remember that. John 17, Jesus' prayer in the garden. He's sweating great drops of blood. 
And he doesn't want to do this. His feelings don't want to. He said, is there any other way? Is there a way you can remove this cup? This is the essence of salvation. I don't want to go through this. I don't want to do the right thing. Can you remove this cup? Nevertheless, not my will, not what I want, but your will be done. One of the greatest prayers in the entire Bible we wouldn't have. John 19, where it is, we wouldn't have, it is finished. John 21, where Peter is asked, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Then feed my sheep. We wouldn't have any of that without John. John is the only gospel writer who records the new commandment. John 13, 34, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. If these were the only four scriptures us Christians could have, we could live on this for about 50 years. It, it's, it disappoints me so bad the way Christians, Christians act and the excuses they make for it. Uh, John 15, 12, my commandment is this, love each other as I've loved you. John 15, 17, this is my command, love each other. 1 John 4, 21, he has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. What do we, what do we think sometimes? Um, there's, there's a story of John when he was uh, over 100, he lived to be over 100 years old. And, and one day he's walking into a temple and everyone says, whoa, 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 there's John. He's the last living disciple. The last original disciple of Jesus Christ. John, we want you to preach today. He's an old, old man. He walks up behind the pulpit and he says three words. And he was known to only say these three words the last few years of his life. All he said was, love one another. He goes back and he sits down. He said, no, 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 John. We want you to teach us something profound. Tell us something that Jesus said. Tell us one of the greatest things he ever taught you. And he comes back up to the podium. He says three words, love one another. And he goes back and sits down. It reminds me of a story of Billy Graham. Billy Graham lived to be 99 years old, and in his last few years of life, he was only known to say four little words. And they were telling this at his funeral. His pastor actually was telling the story. Uh, Billy Graham's pastor, the last season of his life, would go over to Billy Graham's house on Saturday nights and practice his sermon in front of Billy Graham. That's not something I would have ever wanted to do, but he would do that. And Billy Graham would sit in his recliner and not say a word at all, not, not a single word. And the preacher would preach a sermon. He said, I'm, you know, I'm working on this for tomorrow morning. And he'd preach it. Well, one Saturday he comes over and he preached the sermon. When he got done, he said, Billy, uh, Dr. Graham, he said, uh, uh, do you recognize this sermon? He said, I'm actually preaching one of your sermons that you preached at such and such city, such and such crusade. And you had a record attendance that never been so many people in that stadium before. Uh, that 3,000-something 3, people got saved that night. Do you remember it? And Billy Graham said the four words that he would say over and over and over again. It was all Jesus. Over and over, that's all he said. Um, it's interesting to me that John had some stupid natural things, but he doesn't record them in his gospel. All the other gospels record it. In Mark 10, 25, it says James and John, they went to Jesus and they said this, uh, we want you to do whatever we ask. Grant that we can sit in authority in your kingdom. And you know when Jesus said, you don't know what you're talking about, you know what they did? They went to their mom and they said, Mom, can you ask Jesus if we can be in charge of your kingdom? Remember, this is John, the love gospel, right? Here's what he did in Luke 9, 54. They saw some people doing some things that were good. They just weren't Christians. And 9, 54, when James and John saw this, they said, Lord, do you want us to call down fire from heaven to destroy them? We want to burn them alive, Jesus. Is it okay with you if we do that? I bet Jesus is thinking, if, what, what, you stupid natural boys, like you're walking with me, you're seeing me heal people, and you want to, it's one thing to just uh, let them drop dead. No, we want to burn them alive, Jesus, using your power. Um, John, he never, um, he never uses his own name when he writes his gospel. 
he always refers to himself as the other disciple or the disciple Jesus loved. We see it over and over. John 13, 23, the disciple Jesus loved was sitting next to Jesus at the table. John 20, verse 2, she found Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved. John 19, 26, Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby. John 21, 7, the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it's the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment for he was fishing naked. And that's great that John told us that about Peter. I really appreciate that. John 21, 20, Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved was following them. John 23, Peter went out and the other disciples and were going to the tomb. So they both ran together, but the other disciple outran Peter and came to the tomb first. Thank you for sharing that, John. John 20, verse 8, then the other disciple whom Jesus loved reached the tomb first. He saw and he believed. Okay, so from this, uh, John was the disciple Jesus loved. He was faster than Peter, and Peter fishes in his underwear. That's what we just read, so that's good. So here's my conclusion. John was the only disciple who was not martyred. They tried to boil him in oil, um, but he suffered no harm, and he preached while they're boiling him in oil, and nothing happened. So then they forced him to drink poison. It didn't harm him at all. Finally, they... Um, they banish him to the island of Patmos, which is where he wrote Revelation, okay? He lived to be over 100 years old. Here's the fascinating part. He wrote all the things I just told you and a lot more when he was in his 90s, which is 60 years after Jesus died. All the things I just told you and a lot more in detail, in detail, of who said this, who did that. The fact that he remembered that Peter fished in his underwear 60 years later. How could he? I don't remember what I did 60 days ago. Do y'all? 60 years later, he remembers that Jesus said, I'm the light, I'm the bread, I'm the door. 60 years later, he remembers the, the woman caught in adultery and exactly what happened. And who said what? And when the older people walked away first. Oh, 60 years later. You know, in point number one with Nicodemus, it was all about making sure you're born again, right? You've given, you've, you've taken up your cross and you follow Jesus, okay? Here's the conclusion of point number two. Salvation isn't just I took up my cross when I was 13. Salvation is I take up my cross every single day. And John never stopped spending time with Jesus. When he went to write at 90-something years old, here's what he was saying. I know Jesus better now than I did when I walked with him on earth 60 years ago. Because I never stopped spending time with, salvation isn't a one-time thing, it's a, it's, a, it's a relationship. What I mean is if you don't have the desire in you to honor God, don't feel bad because you can't do anything about it, but ask Jesus to change you. If you could change yourself, none of, if we could, none of us would be in this room today if we could change ourselves. none of us. So my question is, after you've given Jesus authority of your life, do you enjoy spending every single day? Because that's what changes you. That's what, that's, what, that's what chisels out all the bad stuff. I'll close, the last scripture in the, in the Gospel of John is actually my favorite scripture in the Bible. John 21, 25. It proves that Jesus was not just natural man for 33 years. He was supernatural forever. Jesus did so many other things that if every one of them were written down, the whole world would not have room for the books 
it will be written. You know, if you read the Old Testament, the, the Father is kind of elusive in, in appearing. Um, but Jesus is, is all through the Old Testament. You know, Abraham had guests, Jesus. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Jesus. Daniel in the lion's den, Jesus. Right? When it says the angel, it's Jesus. Okay. I love this because as John was saying this, hey, I saw him do 30, I saw him do three years of, of miracles. You don't know, but he's been doing miracles for thousands of years, and he's going to keep doing it for thousands of years over and over again. So my question is, does the supernatural live inside of you? And do you spend every day taking up your cross and following him? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heads bowed and eyes closed. I hope that not only Jesus spoke to you today, but I hope he spoke to you about going to a friend, a loved one, somebody. Because listen, they can be in church. They can be teaching the Bible. They can tithe. They can fast. They can pray. They can memorize scripture. But if their heart would rather do what they want than what God wants, there's a good chance they're not saved. And that goes for you as well. I'm not saying you won't do stupid natural things. I'm saying when you do, you know deep in your heart you're doing the wrong thing. So if that, that, that switching of the arrow, if that has not yet happened to you, and today's going to be the day that you just you give him all of it. It doesn't mean you're going to leave here and do everything right. It means you're making a conscious decision. God, I need you to change my heart. I need you. I need you to come into my life so that supernatural things can happen to me. Uh, if, that's, if you need that, just raise your hand right now so I can pray for it. Hands up. Okay, leave them up just for, got about 15, 20 hands, 25, 26 hands. Leave them up. I want everybody to pray this prayer, but especially those with your hand raised and keep it held high. Say, Jesus Christ, come into my life. I cannot change myself, but you can. Change my heart. Get rid of my heart of stone and replace it with a heart for you. Wash me of my sins. I make you my Lord and Savior. This day, I put my trust in you today, tomorrow, and forever. Lord, I thank you so much for doing what you've done in this place today. Lord, I thank you for speaking to our hearts, our minds. I thank you for changing us from the inside out, Lord. I thank you for breaking out that, 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 that stony heart and replacing it with a soft heart. Lord, I pray that you remove the wrong influences and bring in the right influences. I pray, Lord, that you speak to us. Lord, I pray that everyone in this room does not leave here with any type of condemnation or guilt or shame, but they leave here knowing that, yes, they're going to do stupid natural things, but because their desire in their heart is to honor you, you, God, will make sure we get back on path. And I thank you, God, for being in control of all of our lives, of our church. 
I thank you, Jesus, that you are the healer, the savior. You're the restorer. You're the deliverer. I thank you, God, right now for what you're doing in our lives. We ask it in Jesus' name and everybody said, Amen. Amen. Let's stand our feet.